This podcast and the following message are brought to you by SmartPixel. Turn your website's anonymous visitors into engaged customers. SmartPixel turns your anonymous website visitors into fully identified first-party consumer data. When this match and identification takes place, SmartPixel can return up to 300 attributes on the consumer. You get name, postal address, email, gender, and date of birth, plus more specific details like home ownership, vehicle ownership, political party affiliation, presence of children in the household, and many more. SmartPixel, real-time information about your website visitors, easy to install, and fully GDPR and CCPA compliant. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash smartpixel. That's www.autoconverse.com forward slash S-M-A-R-T-P-I-X-L. And thank you. Can I ask, what do you think is the significance of... of uh, Elon Musk's potential takeover of Twitter and how this relates to free speech. Why is Elon Musk regarded as a distinct uh, billionaire uh, uh, as opposed to the other billionaires that own other comparable sites? And what are your concerns around the subject of free speech? And do you think that what we're witnessing is a curation of the of new public spaces in order to manage the discourse around power and to ensure that grassroots movements cannot compete at a uh, on a level playing field that was actor and comedian russell brand on his youtube channel prompting former congresswoman and now political commentator tulsi gabbard about elon musk's completed purchase of twitter and what it really means for free speech we'll play you gabbard's response in a bit But to provide some additional context, Elon Musk, the richest person on the planet, is the CEO of the world's most valuable automaker, heads up a $125 billion aerospace giant, and as of yesterday, is the owner of a middling social media company called Twitter. According to multiple media reports, Musk closed the $44 billion deal on Thursday, less than 24 hours before Friday's 5 p.m. deadline. He began his reign as quote-unquote chief twit by unceremoniously firing at least four executives, including CEO Parag Agrawal, who was reportedly escorted out of Twitter's San Francisco headquarters. And later in the day, Musk was expected to address anxious employees who might be worried if they will face the same fate as their former leader. To summarize six months' worth of drama in three bullet points, Musk acquired a large stake in Twitter and later signed a deal to buy all of it. That occurred earlier in the year. Then he tried to back out, citing bot issues, but Twitter sued him to force the agreement. And just a few weeks ago, Musk blinked ahead of a trial and said he would complete the sale and buy Twitter. This is not the only major development we'll be reporting on today in this episode, but it certainly is the juiciest one. From Autoburst Media, this is Autoconverse. Hey, we got a good show lined up for you today. Oh, well, I'm a Game of Thrones nut, so that's 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 my jam. The robots are listening. The robots are listening. 
All right, and welcome to another episode of the Autoconverse podcast, where we explore people, ideas, and technologies that influence how we are connected and the way we get around. I am Ryan Girardi. Great, as always, to be here with you. Last week on the podcast, we expanded our focus on energy, specifically the idea that demand for electricity is expected to drastically increase over the years as electric vehicles are thrust into the global car markets. Automakers around the globe seem to be in lockstep with the World Economic Forum to replace gas-powered vehicles with battery electric vehicles. And the few exceptions to this are Hyundai and Toyota. Toyota maintains hydrogen-fueled cars not only provide a viable option to battery electric vehicles, but also support a diverse marketplace. The automaker also points out many current cars could be converted to run on hydrogen, allowing owners to keep their current vehicle. And Hyundai, as another example, according to FuelCellWorks.com, has recently teamed up with Ampol, an Australian refiner and fuel retailer, to explore hydrogen road transport prospects and establish a position in the Australian EV market. Now, our focus with this podcast is on developments and innovations and how they impact the United States, but many international developments do impact the U.S., if not directly, then often indirectly. With reports of protests and, in some instances, riots across several European countries about soaring energy prices and demand for electricity, it appears that here in the U.S. we are being shielded from some of the adverse effects that Europeans are experiencing regarding energy. What all this boils down to is this. You and I have little to no influence on the technology going into cars of the immediate future, but we are expected to buy what is available and then pay for the energy necessary to drive them out. If states such as California and New York are going to prohibit the sale of gas-powered cars by 2035, well, chances are other states will as well, which means that over the next 10 to 15 years, millions upon millions of battery electric vehicles are going to be entering the market, replacing gas-powered vehicles, and jacking up the demand for electricity to potentially astronomical levels that, frankly, I don't hear automakers or media pundits talking about at all. But if I had to hedge my bets, I would bet that energy suppliers are licking their chops at the prospect of this. The EV battery market itself is projected to be worth over $134 billion by 2027, which is nearly a 20% increase from where it is today at 56.4. And the market for EV batteries is being driven by factors such as rising demand for electric vehicles themselves, advancements in battery technology, favorable government policies and regulations, and the introduction of new plug-in EV models. But here's the kicker. While electric vehicles themselves might be zero-emission automobiles, the electricity they require is not. The energy is a combination of nuclear, fossil fuels, and renewable energy. Speaking of renewable energy, stay tuned for a new special segment coming up later in this episode about how you can become energy independent in your home with little to no out-of-pocket expense. But before we go there, how about some headlines? As we just mentioned, Musk has expanded his empire by completing the purchase of Twitter. So what now? 
Well, Musk begins his attempt to, in his own words, help humanity by trying to turn Twitter into a common digital town square. According to Morning Brew, Musk has ultra-ambitious goals for the company. He plans to 5x Twitter's revenue by 2028, supercharge the subscriptions business, and turn Twitter into a super app called X. But murkier is the path he intends to take to get there, and he's already sending mixed signals about his intentions. Musk has previously described himself as a free speech absolutist who's rallied against the site's content moderation policies like the ones that got former President Trump banned from Twitter. But he backtracked from that stance the other day. In a note intended to soothe advertisers, Musk wrote that Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. I guess we'll see. As lofty as his long-term vision is, Musk has a daunting challenge ahead. He's overpaying for a social media company at a time when social media companies are getting slammed by dwindling ad budgets, and Twitter specifically is struggling to retain its power users. More on that in a second, but Tesla happens to also be under criminal investigation over claims about self-driving cars. The Department of Justice reportedly launched a criminal probe after more than a dozen crashes happened while Tesla's autopilot software was engaged. The Tesla website says that drivers need to always have their hands on the wheel while using autopilot. And according to a report from the Washington Post in June, Tesla cars using its autopilot software had been involved in 273 crashes over the preceding year, citing data published by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Tesla's actually facing numerous ongoing lawsuits related to its autopilot software, including a proposed class action lawsuit filed in San Francisco in September. Drivers who bought or leased Tesla vehicles with autopilot, enhanced autopilot, and FCD software since 2016 are alleging that the electric car maker is misleading the public by falsely advertising its self-driving capabilities as much more advanced than they actually are, putting drivers at risk. Now, going back to the fact that Musk is overpaying for Twitter at a time when social media companies are getting slammed by dwindling ad budgets, American heavyweights that were once considered unstoppable are, for the first time in years, looking a little washed up. Earlier this week, Meta, previously known as Facebook, became the latest big tech company to post rough financial results for the prior quarter. It recorded its second straight quarter of declining revenue and provided a gloomy outlook for Q4. Come to think of it, maybe Meta shouldn't even be considered big tech anymore. Since its share price peaked in September 2021, the company lost nearly two-thirds of its value before diving another 20% in after-hour tradings late last week. So what's going on here? Well, younger people are not going to Facebook. They're even fleeing. And investors are not confident that CEO Mark Zuckerberg can reinvent the company as a metaverse platform. One prominent shareholder wrote, Meta has drifted into the land of excess. Too many people, too many ideas, and too little urgency. And Meta's metaverse unit, Reality Labs, has lost $9.4 billion so far this year. All I'm going to say is this. When I see images of this metaverse, I see animated avatars, a fake world, not even real, 
it reminds me of that game Sims from many years ago. And I, I'd watch people play this game and I'd say, you know, there's an actual real world right outside of your, right there at your fingertips. I don't see the need to immerse yourself into an imaginary world. And if you think about it, we're already in the metaverse. We are constantly on computers and smartphones, got stuff over our eyes, stuff over our ears. And where's that information coming from? It's coming from the metaverse. So this is just another example of humanity trying to reinvent something that already exists and exists through nature. I still understand why people like Zuckerberg want to create an inferior version of life itself. It just doesn't make sense to me, but to each his own. Getting back to cars, Ford and Volkswagen have pulled the plug on their robocar unit, Argo AI, a major setback to their self-driving plans. Ford decided it needed to invest in driver assistance technology that was more achievable in the near term rather than Argo's goal for driving with little human interaction. Ford's decision led VW to walk away too, according to people familiar, let to walk away too. Ford and VW continue to cooperate on electric and commercial vehicles in the U.S. and Europe. Ford Chief Executive Officer Jim Farley said, Profitable, fully autonomous vehicles at scale are a long way off, and we won't necessarily have to create that technology ourselves. I think that's a smart move. The whole idea, we just, you know, Tesla's, Tesla's being sued right now for faultiness and, fa- and even misleading or false advertising about fully autonomous cars. And we are a long way off from that. I've thought this for a long time. There's five different levels of autonomous driving technology. Level five being fully autonomous with, with no human even at the steering wheel. And while that's great to aim for that, we've got road systems. We've got different types of cars and trucks. We have trains. We have planes. I mean, there's so many factors to this. So there's the tech, autonomous vehicle technology can bring incredible safety benefits to cars. So I'm with Ford on this one. Focus on what makes sense. Focus on what's profitable. And that's capitalism at its finest. So I'm with Ford on this one. Let's take a look at energy real quick again. GM says that it is ready to power all of its facilities with renewable energy by 2025. Uh, Automaker recently signed the necessary sourcing agreements. I'm trying to remember, I reported on this, I've reported on GM and their goals, and I think they've always been aiming for 2025. I mean, that's, what, two years from now. So yeah, GM is on track to secure 100% of the electricity it needs to be to power all of its U.S. facilities with renewable energy by 2025. Let me repeat that. One of the largest companies in the world, one of the largest automakers of all time, is on track to secure 100% of the electricity that it needs to power all of its U.S. facilities with renewable energy by 2025. This announcement puts GM on track to meet the most recent renewable energy target it set for itself late last year. That's why I remember it. Previously, the company had planned to power all of its facilities in the U.S. with renewables by 2030, but GM claims that its accelerated transition will allow it to avoid producing an estimated 1 million metric tons of carbon emissions by 2025 and 2030. 
As of today, GM's energy portfolio includes sourcing agreements with 16 renewable energy plants across 10 states. And the company is also working on increasing the efficiency of its factories and offices, as well as building out its on-site power generation capabilities. So good for you, GM. As I've been saying, there is a dark side to the idea of renewable energies. It's not always reported on, but here's a report from Bloomberg that wind turbines cannot be recycled, so they are piling up in landfills. And companies are searching for ways to deal with the tens of thousands of blades that have reached the end of their lives. A wind turbine's blades can be longer than a Boeing 747 wing, so at the end of their lifespan, they can't just be hauled away. First, you need to saw through the fiberglass and using a diamond-encrusted industrial saw to create three pieces small enough to be strapped to tractor trailers and shipped off to the junkyard. And here, here's an even, here it goes even further. The world's biggest source of clean energy is evaporating. From California to Germany and China, heat waves and droughts have shrunk rivers that feed giant hydropower plants. So I don't want to say there's a laughing matter, but, you know, it's the naivete of humanity. It's like, oh, we need to get rid of fossil fuels because we're going to we're going to be in a climate crisis. We're not going to be able to exist in 15 years, which is actually untrue in and of itself. So let's start doing water power and wind power, even though we have no clue of the long term pros or cons of these. And I think we're starting to already experience some of the unintended consequences of going this route. But here's some light at the end of the tunnel. Toyota announced the construction and launch of the world's first large-capacity sweep energy storage system. The system was built using batteries reclaimed from electrified vehicles and is connected to the consumer electrical power grid. It begins in operation just this week. In the future, demand for storage batteries is expected to grow as they become necessary supply-stabilizing tools when expanding renewable energy in the movement towards CO2 emissions reductions. At the same time, limited supplies of battery materials, including cobalt and lithium, mean there's an ongoing need for environmentally conscious initiatives, such as reclaiming used electrified vehicle batteries for effective use as storage batteries. In response, Toyota began discussions with JERA in 2018 to establish battery reuse technologies, which eventually led to this large-capacity grid-connected sweep energy storage system. The new storage system is equipped with a function called sweep, which allows the use of reclaimed vehicle batteries, which have significant differences in performance and capacity, to their full capacity regardless of their level of deterioration. The sweep function developed by Toyota Central R&D Labs is a device that can freely control energy discharge by switching electricity flow on and off, bypassing through series-connected batteries in microseconds. Furthermore, the sweep function also enables direct AC output from the batteries while reusing onboard inverters to eliminate the need for a power conditioner. And that contributes to reducing costs and helps avoid power loss when converting from AC to DC by PCS, the power conditioner. And all of this is with the aim of improving effective energy use. Toyota aims to introduce approximately 100,000 kilowatt hours of supplied electricity in the mid-2020s, thereby not only reducing the overall cost of the energy storage system, but also contributing to reduction of CO2 emissions. This is technology of the future. 
On the telecom front, SpaceX now accepts orders for Starlink for RVs, the high-speed, low-latency internet that works for any moving land object. According to SpaceX, Starlink's flat, high-performance design used on moving land vehicles is available for orders with deliveries beginning in December 2022. The timing of the deliveries means consumers who order Starlink for RVs can have some fun adventures during the holidays while on the road. SpaceX is offering customers a 30-day trial period to try out Starlink for RVs. And if customers are not satisfied with the service, they may stop the service and return Starlink for RVs for a full refund on the hardware costs. The service is billed in one-month increments, and customers may choose to pause or unpause the service depending on their travel and usage needs. And in earlier episodes, we reported that SpaceX has also rolled out Starlink services for sea vessels and aircrafts. And finally, to wrap up the news, there is a new app that will warn you before an earthquake hits. Berkeley's MyShake app gave thousands of California residents an up to 18-second warning ahead of a magnitude 5.1 earthquake earlier this week. The MyShake app is fully operational in California, Oregon, and Washington. What it does is it notifies users of an earthquake that is 3.5 magnitude or higher. The app was developed by Berkeley Seismology Lab. It alerted 95,000 devices of the earthquake up to 18 seconds before the quake, advising users to drop cover and hold. And dig this. Since Tuesday's alert, signups for the app have surged with over 2 million registered phones, according to the app's data page. Anyone can download the MyShake app, but the system is only fully operational in those three states. You should receive alerts regardless of whether your phone is on. Do not disturb. But the app will only let you know if a 3.5 earthquake or above is detected. Coming up. That's why I regret buying solar panels in America. Hi there. In case you live in the U.S. and are looking to buy solar panels, I have something really important to tell you. You shouldn't. You should not buy solar panels in case you have a home in the U.S. And if you're wondering why, it's because right now you can actually have the U.S. government buy solar panels for you. No, I'm not joking. Our government recently released a special solar stimulus program. And with the goal to help stop global warming, Americans will be able to get a complete solar system from our government at absolutely no net cost. And that way, go solar with little to no investment whatsoever. All you need to do is simply click the button below this video to take a quick survey our government provided, and by the end, you'll be qualified. So please, don't spend your own money on solar panels like I did, and click the button below this video now to qualify for this special program and have the U.S. government buy solar panels for you. The following mindset tip is brought to you by Ask Auto. before your plan even before understanding your priorities and your focus it's really developing that confidence to take action i love what mel robbins shares about having that willingness to try confidence is another word that just gets thrown about these days you know i wish i was confident i want to be as confident as then i am a confident individual but what if we kind of flip that perspective and look at it as a willingness to try you know, in spite of fear, in spite of what the result might be, you know, there's that big cliche quote of I'm either going to win or I'm going to learn. But really 
taking that and embodying that and knowing that no matter what the result is, I have the willingness to try. And especially if you're turning a side hustle into a full-time business, you need that willingness to try, that willingness to take action, that willingness to feel the fear, but do it anyway, as that amazing book by Susan Jeffries said. So I think absolutely confidence is, is key in life, but especially in business and becoming an entrepreneur. It's connecting to your inner potential, to your core confidence. Les Brown might say to the greatness you have inside. Joe Dispenza might say to the genius within. We all have different words for it, but essentially it's that inner potential and that inner power that everybody has. A lot of people doubt it, but everybody has that. So it's about connecting to that confidence from the core. So then it's about bringing that to your to your everyday life and carrying that thought of ignite the fire. You've you've got the experience, you've got the evidence. So it's much easier to show up when that fear does, for example, pressing live on a Facebook, having a sales conversation, whatever it might be. When that feeling of fear comes up, it's about making that conscious choice to take action anyway. That was Harriet Bratt from B2B Hour on Autoconversion, our company blog and website, not to be confused with autoconverse.com, our mobility tech and connectivity blog and podcast that you are listening to right now. Harriet is an international speaker, trainer, and firewalk instructor who, as you heard, was talking about building confidence by seeking out opportunities to shine, excel, and do your thing. You can visit Harriet on the web by going to harrietbratt.com. H-A-R-R-I-E-T-B-R-A-T-T dot com. Hey, Dad, are you still looking for a car? Did you know that when you click on car ads, dealers pay for every click? But shouldn't you get paid? After all, you're the one clicking. That's why I use Ask Auto. With Ask Auto, you build rewards as you shop. Plus, Ask Auto recommends exclusive offers based on your needs. You can ask questions on cars you like and still protect your personal information. You can even set your price. Who knew car shopping could be so easy and rewarding? Ask Auto. Fast, fun, and rewarding car shopping. Hey folks, before we continue, I'd like to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, Apricot Solar. As a listener of this podcast, you hear me talking about rising demand for electricity. And with an increase in demand, you can count on price increases. One way to combat this price hike is with energy independence by producing your own electricity. And one of the best ways to produce your own electricity at home is with solar energy. But not just any home solar energy system. The best way to go is with Apricot Solar. We experience the benefits of solar daily. They are real and undeniable. And even though it's been decades since its invention, there's still a lot of misinformation surrounding solar energy. As an example, the clip you heard me play earlier about solar costing you nothing was from a TikTok channel, and it is misleading. Apricot is here to change that. And that is why Apricot Solar wants homeowners to experience just how affordable and logical solar can be. From custom solutions to installation to financing, Apricot is your leading full-service solar provider. We currently serve customers in almost every state, including, but not limited to, California, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, Florida, Colorado, Utah, 
Illinois, Pennsylvania, and many others. Together with homeowners, Apricot is working to make this clean energy source mainstream, saving you big dollars in the process. We believe the time is finally here to do energy differently. We have to be smarter. There is a better way, and more and more people are understanding that it is right in front of us. At Apricot, solar is finally simple. We want your solar switch to be as smooth and seamless as possible. We're here to answer your questions, and a visit to your home is how we set a plan that makes the most sense for you and your family. You do not get just solar panels. With Apricot, you receive a complete net zero home system with service to match. Every component is designed to work together perfectly, from those first rays of sunlight hitting your roof to flicking on your light switch. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash solar or text the keyword solar to 855-766-7585 and get started today. You will be glad that you did. Okay, for our final segment today, I am going to play you the remainder of my conversation with Bill Satry and Eric Brown on the subject of disposing of electric vehicles. Two episodes prior to this one, you heard the first part of our conversation talking primarily about future energy demand as more and more electric vehicles enter the market. In fact, in the clips I'm about to play you, you will hear Bill state that it is estimated that 145 million electric vehicles are expected to be in the global market by 2026. And just like gas-powered cars, electric vehicles eventually die and find their way to the scrapyard. But scrapping cars is an entirely new business these days with electric batteries and electric vehicles. Before we got into the evolution of the scrapping business, Eric was showcasing his new arrangement with Toyota for Ask Auto, one of our sponsors, which is helping bring vehicles and dealers to consumers rather than forcing consumers to go seek them out. Here was Bill's response to that partnership. I've worked with Toyota and worked with them in the past and continue to work with them. I think Eric's bringing something very unique to the table, which is a human rather than a lead. And this, this idea of leads and versus humans, he's got somebody filling out a form that a salesman can embrace because now they have a conversation instead of saying, do you have any cars in stock? So I think Eric's process is very smart. I think manufacturers are very wise to connect the dots with humans, not leads. There's a major difference. You just, unless you've seen this world of, of, of pixels and device IDs and, and bots, he's, he's, he's doing the right thing. I think he'll be very su successful in that endeavor. Thank you, Bill. I then asked Bill what he sees happening in the auto retail business. I, you know, with my life of the last 35 years being in the auto industry from the print and the retail end, I just see a huge opportunity for a few things. One is we need to talk to customers a different way and connect with them uniquely where it's in their interest rather than our interest. Lexus is working on that with a project. I know other manufacturers, but this is a good thing. We're finally trying to dialogue again instead of saying we don't have any cars in stock or it's just been a terrible two years for a lot of consumers trying to find out how to how to connect with a car dealership. 
Number two, there's um, a huge opportunity that we've all passed up, which is uh, Eric's going to connect thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in, in a unique way to con converse with dealers. Now, a lot of these people may be driving older cars. They may want to sell them. They may have no, you know, there's just no way of getting rid of a car. And car dealers right now don't want to take a car, it's high mileage or something they can't get rid of. And I'm going to get to the electrical, the e-cars in a moment. But what I did and what Carcetta did is actually go down and converse and talk to scrappers. Now, if you don't know what a scrapper is, that's just a new word for the junk dealer. The junk dealer is no longer a person smashing cars into little squares anymore. They are repurposing every single bit of that car because during the last two and a half years, they can't get parts. You can't get used car parts. And the problem with not being able to get used car parts is it drives the price of used cars up. So they're consuming anywhere from 8 to 12 million cars a year, buying at the auction. And what we're trying to do at Carcata is we have the ability to develop a communication process where they can buy through an auction system and they can see all these used cars sitting on the car dealership's lot. We have over 2,000 dealers on our program now. They can see over a million cars. And so what these scrappers say is, look, if we could deal directly with the dealer, we can take some of these vehicles, not only as a buy, but they'll take it apart and get it out of the market. And you talk about polluters in the beginning of your show. A lot of these polluters are older vehicles. About 70% of the pollution comes from cars that are 10 years and older. And so if we can get them disassembled, out of the country or put into parts and repurpose their parts. Now we can focus on cars that are cleaner burning, get better gas mileage, and we can kind of work with that. So I believe there is a dialogue that needs to happen with the car dealer and the scrapper. Two to 3,000 scrappers were in the process of signing on a program where they can see the back lot and the lots of dealers across America. And where uh, Eric comes in and his company, Ascado, is he's connecting the dealers, the, the excuse me, the customers. These dealers and these scrappers could be very hungry for their cars. I, I could anticipate there, there could be some activity there. But we're missing it. The dealers are missing this vital role of, of buyers in the market. Bill, can you give us an idea of what type of car, like age, miles, condition, suddenly is worth more being disassembled to and taken into parts versus being resold out, you know, to be driven? Any Range Rover. <laughs> any, any, but are we talking what? like cars that are 10 plus years or no, even cars no, that are six or seven no. years? These guys are going nuts on newer models, some of them. Because the parts are worth more than the vehicle. The, there, there are Jeeps. There are, there are different products out there. And I can't name them all, but the VIN encryption that they work with and the APIs that we're setting up allows us to get an instant value as a scrap piece. So, yes, the older vehicles, of course, 10 years old.
but a Prius with 300,000 miles on it, you may not have anywhere to go. Well, the catalytic converter alone on an older Prius would blow your mind. It could be worth $1,600 to $2,000 just for the catalytic converter. Now you have the batteries. Now you have the motor, the transmission. There's just so many components now that are valuable in these cars that it's changed. It's just kind of flipped the scale a little bit on what we should focus on. So now the dealer... He's taking in a card, he's writing it up, and I don't care what program he writes it up on, but if if we have access to that vehicle on Carcetta, now there's 2,000 scrappers that could be looking at it at any given time that might raise their hand and say, hey, I'll take it as is. I don't care if the taillight's broken or it doesn't start. I'm, I'm done. I'll take it. It has the transmission in it. I look at the pictures. It's okay. Fine. I'll haul it off. And no recourse. They the the scrapper is probably the most forgiving wholesaler there is because they just want the car. They may scrap it, they may use it, but they're starting to take the wires and repurpose it, the seats, the dash, the motor, the transmission, the brake. I'm looking at a I just took a tour last week of a scrap yard locally here in Salt Lake. Really good friend of mine. And he's got this pile of discs that come off uh, the trucks. And so this whole huge container is full of discs from, from a trucks, right? So he says, they're quality discs. They will be repurposed. He shows me another container, catalytic converters. He's going to get anywhere from $80,000 to $100,000 just for that, just for that square container. So... Mm-hmm. He's not doing $600,000 a year, a million. He's doing millions upon millions upon millions of dollars a year. He'll do as much as a local, you know, Toyota dealer, probably in revenue in some cases of what he's got going on. There's just a lot of money in scrap right now. Is this a newer development in the industry? Is like, is this, was this induced by the pandemic in some way? Or is this like, what led to this, I guess, evolution for scrappers? It's always been going on, but the value of parts have skyrocketed in the last three years. They used to just melt the car down. You get it, you know, car was worth 10 or 20 cents a pound Mm -hmm. and they would melt it down, take the the elements out and start over. Now the wheels go in a certain box, they get melted down or they go in a certain container. The harnessing, the wiring. The alternators all get shipped to Mexico and get repurposed and get yeah. sold to a parts store. Not to mention we've got all these chips in cars now. Chips. <laughs> Having started on a, a Lexus LS could have 39 computers in it or something. So everything's of value. And the more electronics that we have in a car, the more values. The dashes in some of these cars alone, they don't sit out and, and collect dust anymore. They get taken apart, repurposed, and shelved, and they get sold. And so your dash on a Mustang 50 years ago, a 67 Mustang or whatever, could be worth $250 or $300, no electronics in it. You take a dash out of a Lexus right now, an RX300H or whatever, and you've got a lot of stuff going on. And that dash now is very valuable, or the, the cluster of, of gauges. So it's a different ballgame. And the cars are getting more uh, sophisticated the parts in them are, are going through the roof. So these scrappers want to get with the dealer directly and do business. 
And that's what we're trying to facilitate. And then what about just consumers off the street? I, about four years ago, got rid of a Buick Enclave. It was a 2012 and it needed about $2,500 in repairs. Uh, but, it, but it had, uh, you know, it had a head gasket uh, issue. So I didn't want to put the money into it. But I, but the value of the trade-in was eight thousand less than what I owed on it. Would I have been better off taking that to a scrapper? I would. I didn't think about it, but maybe I would have been better off. May or may not, right? Let me let me just open the door. It's a Buick, right? And it may have common parts, and there's may not there may not be the demand for for that year of Buick. On the other hand, there may be a transmission in that year make and model that might be unique. There may be some fundamental elements that they would have gone nuts. You take Jeep, a Jeep that, that may be worn out. It may be worn out to you, but the other parts and the elements out of that Jeep may be very, very valuable. The transfer case, the transmission. These guys don't care about some of the things that we think are valuable to us. They're really uh, agnostic about some of the condition of the car that we're we're really concerned about such sure. as mileage yeah they'll take that car without any recourse get it off the dealer's lot or out of your home and they're busy parting that thing out probably with 24 to 48 hours and then the other scrappers receive these containers of the parts and certain scrappers specialize and that's why i want to get into it a little bit later depending on time goes about what they do now with batteries in the, in the fear that's coming up and the uncertainty of doubt of if we don't handle batteries correctly out of Tesla's and hybrids, it's well, that way. I'd like for you to, I'd like for you to address that. We are down to our last four minutes here. Eric did have to go. We, we, uh, he had to leave about ten, five minutes ago, but yeah, I do think about that. I, I just brought up that cars today have a lot more chips, uh, computer chips in them. Uh, so I think that alone just make you know makes more parts and and more value there because you don't even have to use the component that the chip was processed that was operating you could just reuse the chip for something but right. like you mentioned you got batteries you can't just dispose of batteries uh Not battery enough. electric vehicles are i mean could be hundreds of little batteries in, in a pack so yeah 7700 batteries in a tesla on, yeah on thousands models. there you go so yeah, what's going to happen with those? That, those seem like a, a, a fire risk just sitting there in a car. By 2030, we will have in the United States 145 million, 145 million electric cars. That's one estimate. A battery in a Tesla. In the U.S. A, a Prius cannot be taken out and put in a scrapyard. It has elements that are poisonous to the ground and it'll contaminate the ground. It's also a fire hazard. Once a Tesla battery catches on fire, you cannot put it out. You have to drown it in a lake, literally. So we're working on a process with the scrappers to be, number one, responsible in repurposing. So I have people working on, we have people at Carcata working on the fact that these vehicles can be repurposed to skateboards, to uh, battery packs for RVs to battery packs for your home. We can get another 10 years life out of a battery or a battery pack if we repurpose these batteries properly and don't put them on 
inside the ground or put them in a in somewhere where they cannot be disposed. We have to start thinking about that now. So I'm looking at OEMs and responsible dealers to come with us and develop a process that's responsible for our communities. Well, what's happening right now? I mean, not every electric car is still operating. I'm sure some of them have found their way to a scrapper by now. So what, what do you know what's happening now? Are they taking the battery out and putting it somewhere else? Google that now. What, what, what happened in China is there's graveyards that they can't do anything with them. But what we're doing right now is we're taking the battery pack out, disassembling it safely, and those battery packs are being shipped safely to other vendors that know how to repurpose those batteries. And you have to be certified, and you just can't think you're going to do this by watching a YouTube video. You're either going to get electrocuted or you're going to burn down your house. (laughs) It's a process that needs to be taken very, very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Bill, this is good. Thank you for uh, taking the time to share this with us. Uh, obviously, we have some backdoor conversations between me and Bill and Eric trying to you know, make some magic happen within, within the industry. But this is good. And as you can see, it's something we're going to keep uh, a pulse on uh, you know, fr- from week to week. Absolutely here. We're committed to figure this out so that we're not re- re- responding to a disaster that we're anticipating this need. Yep. Okay, that is a wrap. Thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to text the keyword AutoConverse to 855-766-7585 so you can get subscribed to our YouTube channel. That'll give you access to our live show. Whether you want to watch them live or the recording, you'll have access to do that. And you also get notified when new podcast episodes come out as well. And while you're at it, you can also text the keyword SOLAR to the same number to kickstart the process for energy independence, as you heard me talk earlier with your home and your electric vehicle if you have one of those too. And finally, I am happy to report that Dogecoin is back on the rise. As of today, the coin is up over eight cents and appears to be headed to the moon. And one last thing before we go, here is Tulsi Gabbard's response to Russell Brand from the clip we played at the beginning, addressing what she thinks is the significance of Elon Musk taking over the helm at Twitter. Take care, everybody. Ciao. It is because they are so threatened by a free people who can think for ourselves, speak, uh, you know, speak our mind and our views and our beliefs, uh, very robustly engage in this marketplace of ideas that scares them, that scares the power elite who are in charge. So, of course, and this includes some of these billionaires who are so afraid to stand up and take a stand like Elon Musk has. Uh, it's why he's gotten such a backlash with his purchase of Twitter and his his true commitment uh, stringently to free speech, whether you like it or not, which, by the way, the ACLU and Democrats used to be that. They used to be those champions of speech, no matter how abhorrent that speech might be. Uh, what's dangerous about what's happening here is with Elon Musk continuing to forge ahead uh, very correctly in his his commitment to free speech and how he wants to change Twitter to be a truly free marketplace of ideas, the power leader so threatened by it that they are launching uh, the muscle of the federal government against him 
basically saying, well, we're going to just start investigating Elon Musk. We need to start looking at what rules he may have broken or what regulations he may not be following, not because they've got evidence of any wrongdoing, but here's a guy who poses a threat to them because they want to be the ones to say, well, these are the only voices we want heard. This is what we deem to be information versus disinformation. Nobody else, nobody else uh, gets to do that but us. They're afraid of a free people with free voices and a free society. And that's why it's it's dangerous as we are seeing how they're trying to uh, take down people like Elon Musk, who has the means and resources to actually join the people in standing up and fighting to uphold those freedoms, obviously here in the United States, but with Twitter, it affects people around the world. This is Audiburst Media.